Hey everybody, this is Pastor Kurt, and I wanted to take a little moment to answer a couple more questions that we weren't able to get to on Sunday. A little supplemental time here, I guess. I hope this is helpful. This is aimed for our church. I hope it's helpful to us and maybe to some other people, but I wanted to tack on a couple other answers to questions that we didn't address on Sunday. I hope it's helpful uh, as best I can do. Let's launch into it. The first question is, how should church members deal with fellow Christians who fall away from their faith? And I just want to say, I appreciate right from the get-go, it says, how should church members deal with this? And it isn't that, uh, how should the church deal with this? It isn't even worse. It isn't, how should the pastor deal with these things? So I appreciate that. Uh, a couple of verses, I would say, is uh, Matthew eighteen twelve is where we can start. What do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for that one that wandered off? Jesus himself says that he came to seek and save the lost. So I think some of what we can think about when we, how do we deal with people is we, we pursue them. We're people who want to pursue others. And, you know, we, we don't want to be, we don't want to be a, uh, seeking after people in a way that they don't want, but we do want people to feel like the other people miss them. Uh, when, if we are going to challenge people, I think we should do it with tact. Paul says that in Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.1, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. So there's a there's ways for us to think about how we interact with other people, to not do that in a harsh way, specifically if it's somebody who's older than you, but let's be really careful about doing that. So I'm, I'm not sure if I'm really good at this about pursuing people, to tell you the truth, but... Um, one of the things that I think that we should ask, one of the way, though, how should we deal with this? I think we should try to treat people the way that we would want to be treated. Uh, how would you want someone to relate to you? We are going to relate to them in that way that you would want people to relate to you. I'll say, let's not be afraid of people in deconstruction. Over the past few years, there have been uh, a lot of public discussion about this topic of deconstruction. Uh, deconstructing their faith means people oftentimes who grew up in an evangelical faith, but who have been rethinking or questioning some of their previous unquestioned beliefs or thoughts. Uh, we can begin by appreciating and understanding the process that they're going and why they're going through these things. I think a lot of times people have been exposed maybe to some new ideas that they never had questioned those things before. There are people who have specifically been reacting to things in the church. Uh, so they're, uh, maybe they've been victims of sexual misconduct in the church, victims of abuse, or they, they've seen corrupt abuses in the church. A lot of people have been turned away by the hypocrisy of other Christians, uh, maybe by harsh and legalistic teaching. But really, I think a lot of it is it has to do with this problem of that that Christians have too closely connected their political party to hitch it on to Christian faith, and, and I think people are rightly responding to that and saying, "Hey, is this is this really what faith is?" Then I don't know if I want that. Uh, I, I had a friend who pointed out to me this weekend, she said, hey, uh, just so you know, people aren't always deconstructing faith in Jesus. A lot of times what they're actually doing is deconstructing some of the apparatus that's around it. They're deconstructing church in some ways. 
and asking questions about the way that that the church has approached faith in Christ. And I think that was a, a helpful distinction. Uh, I think sometimes people can be afraid of deep questions. And so if we have questions, sometimes other people aren't going to react really great to that. And that's too bad. That's not the way it's supposed to be, but that's how it is. So let's, if, if this is threatening to you that people would deconstruct their faith, I want you to think about the fact that sometimes deconstructing is actually a really positive thing. This happens, for example, in if you're doing a church, in a renovation in a building. It doesn't have to be a church, whatever. If you're doing renovation, we're going to do one here at the church. It makes me think about that. But when we're going to we're going to be renovating some of these buildings here on campus, and when we do that, we're actually going to be deconstructing some parts of these buildings to to kind of tear them apart. Hopefully, what we find underneath is going to be strong, and we will rebuild on that. And the rebuilding process will make it cleaner, make it stronger, make it better afterwards. And I have to remember that that's an important part of that. And so in, in some aspect, to tell you the truth, I hope that everyone will deconstruct their faith in some way. We have to all answer the question, is my faith my own? Or is it just because it's a culture I grew up in? Is it something that my parents gave me? Uh, so I hope that that all of us will open ourselves up to questions and to be able to think more deeply about our faith than we have in the past. And that, that I'm hoping that that will lead to some deeper faith. Of course, I'm a pastor. I want faith for you. Uh, but boy, there are moments when our faith runs up against the realities of the world. And uh, I think that some of us have experienced things in the last five years that have uh, if you if your faith hadn't strengthened, you probably would have been shattered by it. And so I'm hoping that the things that we face in this world, I'm praying for people who are having difficulty as they have these questions or run into challenges. And I'm, I'm praying that this will be a place of growth for people, that, that, that people that we know who are going through this process will be able to meet compassion and mercy from their friends in the church and that for themselves they'll recognize that God is okay with their questions and I'm praying that they'll come out a lot stronger than before. Next question is what scriptures do you look to when walking the line between showing love to people living in sinful patterns of behavior versus trying not to affirm said behavior as a representative of Christ? In some ways, this is similar to the last one, but it's not necessarily people who have wandered from the faith. It could be, I was hearing this as possibly uh, friends who are not Christians as well. And I thought of Matthew 7. It says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and tear you to pieces. Uh, I think we need to recognize that we approach things first. We have to have some discernment. We don't throw everything to everyone, but boy, the first step really is is recognizing that we are all broken and that we have a speck in our own eye before the plank in our own eye before we look at the speck in the other person's. Uh, I think of John eight as well, uh, where there's Jesus uh, is speaking to a crowd where there's a woman that was caught who was caught in adultery and uh, he doesn't condone her sin, but he also doesn't uh, attack her. 
he says at the end when when after he kind of convinces the crowd to leave when they leave her he says go and sin no more to her so there's a there's both a challenge there's mercy but then also a, a challenge so i i think about that as well is jesus okay with all this killing in the old testament <laughs> good question uh, i would say some of it but not all of it uh, i there are a lot of times that there is killing in the old testament that it's people's own search for power or revenge, or they have their own agenda. They're trying to steal people's stuff, whatever, just because they hate somebody. Oftentimes those are reasons that they do it. But it's true that God does sometimes command it or openly allows it at least. And in those cases, it strikes me that God wasn't glorifying violence, but that it was maybe a last resort. And uh, it's true that the cultures at that point were a lot uh, more violent. I think that it was a it was a more brutal place to live, but I still think it was got a last resort. Thing we should remember: we as Christians have been saved in some. We have been saved through an act of violence. That Christ was violently killed, hung on a cross, and that God. Through that, what we understand is that God isn't uh, separate from. The violence of the world. It's not like he just says to attack and doesn't experience it, but that God himself has experienced injustice and violence on himself at the hands of the creatures that he's trying to save. And it is through that means he has actually turned violence on its head and used it instead by receiving it that he actually ends up bringing peace. So I think that's a helpful thing for us to remember when we think about when looking for resources to better understand scripture or uh, and the cultural context around it, how do we ensure that the sources are trustworthy and reliable, especially in the internet age where anyone can make a legit looking website? I think this is a really cool question because the idea is that we can all be released to study scripture. It's really important for all of us to do that. But there's a recognition that there are cultural questions involved with our biblical text and that not everything is going to be as reliable as other sources, that any kind of wacko can put stuff online. Uh, so we, we know that is true. And when, when we're looking for that, I think some of the things that we're looking for is a commitment to scriptural authority. We're, we're looking for people who are taking the text really seriously. I, you know, to tell you the truth, one of the things I look for is I look for tone. I'm I'm wondering how people are interacting with the, these things and whether they're making fun of other people or not. That is important. Uh, for books, I would start with the main evangelical publishers to start with. Uh, InterVarsity Press has lots of great things. Nav Press, uh, Erdman's, Tyndale, Zondervan, Baker, a bunch of those kinds of things are going to help. That's a good start. Uh, if you're looking for things online, BibleGateway.com, they offer a bunch of books in the IVP New Testament commentary series for free makes a lot of sense. I recommend using that one. If you're, if that Bible book is offered there, that's a terrific online resource to go for. Uh, and if you want to do a deeper dive and all this stuff, I'm, I'm happy to point you to sites or to loan you some books if you're here and see me. Uh, th this is a good question. I think uh, it's easy for people to kind of look for things in a lot of places. And uh, this is easier to do, I think, the more the longer you have been a believer, you start to be able to sort through some of those things. Uh, I, you can start to recognize names or people that they're citing. That's helpful. If you're really new to faith, it's uh, probably better to stick with some of the main kind of 
evangelical sites like that, like going to uh, Bible Gateway or something like that, that might be a good place to start. Um, or um, you, you finding things through the Bible app, the Brown um, Bible app on your Bible. All right. How is the theory of evolution and its long timeline reconciled with the creation of the world and humankind? Archaeology has evidence of early man, but humans weren't primitive in the Bible. Please explain. Um, so to start off, you don't need to agree with me, but I will tell you my perspective on this. Uh, when, when we first ask this question, uh, our starting point is going to determine a lot of where we end up. Uh, as we move forward. So if somebody starts with the assumption that the Bible is laughable and primitive, and the conclusion is pretty easy to say, hey, let's just dismiss the Bible and you move on on your merry way. And a lot of people do do that. Uh, but there is another danger here for those who want to uphold their conviction that the Bible is the word of God, which it is. Uh, but as they seek to assiduously protect that uh, our assumption as we approach, the problem is that we, too often we try to also protect our assumption that the Bible was written by people who are like us, that people come from our, like they were approaching the world from the same perspective that we do. So if we do that, then we think that maybe you're afraid of where this question might lead, you're afraid of what this might mean for you and your faith, or you're going to end up tying yourself up in knots to try to explain something in a way that uh, is somewhat satisfying. But ultimately, I, I haven't been super satisfied with some of those answers. So inter uh, I'll say traditional interpretation of the scripture should not be lightly dismissed. That's really important, but it's it's not really responsible to ignore or dismiss scientific inquiry um, because it bucks up against our, our interpretations. A lot of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about right here, um, I got from biologos.org. Terrific site, biologos.org. I definitely recommend it if you've got questions about these kind of evolutionary type things. Um, it was um, one of the main people that's contributing to this, Francis Collins from the Human Genome Project, uh, respected person, scientist, uh, man of faith, but he's not going to approach these things in a, in a flippant kind of way. I appreciate that. So uh, let's start by talking about some of the boundaries of this. Uh, there, when we think about the world, uh, there actually is a world. Uh, there's a universe that's here. And I, that points to some kind of first cause for that. And so it doesn't really, that doesn't change our view of things, even if you believe in multiple universes or infinite universes, that, that those things could be started by something. There needs to be something that starts that, and that can be the beginning of our search. That doesn't mean that you're going to agree with the God of the Bible, but that's at least a beginning. And we can say also that humans, we see humankind, and that we are infinitely creative, it seems, but also seemingly infinitely destructive for our own selves and to the world and to other people. So uh, this is not just in society in general, like there's a spectrum of people, but also within our own hearts, that there is this issue that's in us. And so another way of saying that is that people have evolved quite a lot, but there does seem to still be a lot of primi uh, primitive thinking 
both in our culture and in ourselves. Uh, so there's a lot of primitive that's still in me. And if you need proof of the glory and the tragedy of humanity, we actually carry around something in our pockets that gives us access to the, to the world's art and culture and learning. And we are just as close also to the flaming dumpster fire of civilization of the world and kind of the darkest forms of depravity that are out there. Uh, in the common traditional view, though, of how this is answered, so that, that's, that's kind of, I'll just say, that's kind of how I'm framing this, is that we can see there is brokenness in people. We don't need the Bible to tell us that. Uh, I feel like there, it's clear that there is some kind of first cause. We don't need to uh, start with that. But we can say, gosh, how does the Bible jive with these things? So in the traditional view, Adam and Eve were created de novo. They were created from nothing, but, and that was maybe six to 10,000 years ago, uh, that they are the sole progenitors of this. And um, they were the first two humans and um, that Genesis was written in the same way that a historian or a journalist would write about it today. That's one view. Uh, and this is a point where we have some rub. I, I, I don't think this account that started as oral history for however long it was before it was written down, um, that it, I don't think it starts with the same assumptions that we do as people in the 21st century today would. So if you want more on that particular topic, I definitely recommend the work of John Walton. He's a professor at Wheaton College, or at least was. Uh, he wrote a book called The Lost World of Genesis 1. And you can go back to my sermon on Genesis 1 on June 21st, 2021. I did talk about that. So there, I think that there are features of the biblical text that, that speak to layers of meaning uh, that the traditional view of the Bible doesn't account for. With the fact that Genesis 4 refers to other people in cities, Cain's wife, all that kind of stuff. They seem to be descended. They don't seem like they came from Adam and Eve, at least from the text. Uh, there are some parts of that text as well that seem to indicate that they're, Adam and Eve are kind of archetypal beings meant to show that it stands in for all of us. And so here's the thing. When there are multiple interpretations of scripture that could be possible, I think that we need to, as believers, to look to the natural world to also help us to understand. Uh, the Bible is a theological text. It's not written specifically as a scientific text, but it's, it's, there's, there's something being said that's in this that's important for us. So when we interpret our scripture, we can take the scientific evidence into account. And I think that the scientific evidence, everything is pointing toward the fact that humans evolved. Um, genetic record points toward this. But with that, we don't need to jettison our belief in God or even the authority of scripture in order to come to that conclusion. Remember, our starting point is we said there is a God and the evidence in the world is that in the world and in my life is that we are broken people. Those are things that Genesis in the beginning is is talking about. It, it sounds a lot like there's some proof for God in the world and proof for sin. Those kind of things are there. So there are a couple of options for people who want to uh, stay faithful to scripture, but take science seriously. So some Christians like Billy Graham uh, were open to models that see evolution as combati compatible with Adam and Eve, um, that um, Theologian um, Henri Brochet and other people, they say that there were um, 
there was a pair of historical representatives of humanity about 200,000 years ago in Africa. And Genesis retells this historical event using cultural terms that Hebrews in the Near East could understand. Um, another version is that um, Adam and Eve were recent historical people living uh, 6,000 years ago, and that it's almost like a separate line of people, and God could have just chosen them as special representatives. Uh, but other Christians, such as Alistair McGrath and C.S. Lewis, have suggested more non-historical models. Um, in this, Adam and Eve aren't historical in a sense of, um, of historical today. That the, the Genesis account conveys important, inspired theological truths about God in huma and humanity. And in one view of this, the the chapters of Genesis are are symbolic stories in the that are similar to other Near Eastern literature, uh, or maybe it's a compressed uh, depiction of a long historical process. I don't know. But so there are lots of different types of views that can be there, but and all of them are in line with sound biblical interpretation and with the scientific evidence. Um, if you would like to investigate this more, like I said, you need to go look at BioLogos, this uh, website that is investigating these kind of things. Uh, Christians will disagree on some of these ways of interpreting it, but I want to say there are ways of reading scripture that it doesn't mean that, it, it, it's not just twisting yourself up in knots, but actually saying, hey, is this going to be faithful to the literature at the time and to the way that, that they were viewing the world? Or, uh, and also, is it faithful to science as well? I think that those are important things for us to do. So check all that out. There are lots of good resources on there. Are we chosen or do we choose salvation? Yes. So <laughs> if you love exploring these kind of questions in depth, I want to encourage you to think about studying theology, to get into studying all of these kinds of things about, about God. Uh, you might even consider joining an Ignite cohort. Our denomination has this uh, way to be able to study a bit more, uh, to get into faith questions called Ignite. And I recommend you do that. So let's just say God was the one, he had to be the one to initiate with us. It says in Ephesians 2, 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So we were dead. Dead people don't initiate. They don't start things. They can't respond. Uh, God is the one who needed to make us spiritually alive. But I will say our perception on our side is always going to look like we choose into faith. So if, you, if you're asking the question, gosh, it, do I have to wait for God to do something? God, God is doing something. If you, if you are, have any kind of interest in God or wanting to move toward God, that's, that is part of God working in you. And you need to pursue that with all of your strength. To, to do that with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to pursue after God. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like on your side that you did everything. I think if you play back the tape and you look at it, you're going to say, God, God was the one who drew me to himself. And that is part of the richness of this. You don't have to feel like, like it's something that you made up in your own head, but that God is actually chasing after you. Uh, scripture says things like this, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified, Romans 8.30. So the emphasis is really in scripture that we don't save ourselves, but God does it. Um, listen to Jesus' words, though. He wants us to take a step toward him. Uh, and also we, that God chooses us. John 15.16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last. 
and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. But he also says, John 7, 17, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So there's an aspect where God initiates with us, God chooses us, but our perception is going to be that we still have to choose into that ourselves. So are we chosen or do we choose salvation? Yes. All right, uh, this one kind of seems a little bit like one of the previous ones. Uh, how do you balance sharing the love of God with correcting people's many flaws? I'm assuming as I answer this, that this is directed towards somebody who's not a believer, I guess. This person uh, didn't leave their name, so I couldn't uh, write to them to clarify. Uh, the first thing that we hear coming out of Jesus's mouth in the book of Mark is him saying this, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news, Mark 1.15. So the, the call of Christ is always for people to turn away, to repent means to turn in a new direction and turn away onto the path of God. And so believing in the good news of life in God is not going to be just adding something new to our life. We can't just pick it like buying a new car where you, you, you buy a new car, you feel really good about it, and you kind of want to drive it around, show it off a little bit. And we like it, we like how we feel, uh, but it's not fundamentally different from our new car. Um, but Jesus uses this word repent. It means to change your mind, to change direction that you're headed in. You're going in one way and you turn and go the other. Um, but that being said, our job is not to correct other people's flaws at all. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 5, uh, five twelve. he says this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So uh, as you think about correcting people's flaws, I would say it's not totally your job. Uh, first thing Jesus said, look for the, the plank in our own eye before going to the speck in somebody else's right. That's the end of all the questions I'm going to be able to treat this time. Wow. Uh, I hope that's helpful. Maybe, uh, maybe you need to find a smarter pastor if you want better answers. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Bye.